Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's early in the week, but you know, things came together in such a way that I think I might do the partial podcast. Now, and I have a reason, an impetus, a pressure, a good pressure. Uh, today's uh, talk is being sponsored by my old student, uh, Alex Fuchsman, who's it's not the first time he did it, is living in, um, in Elizabeth. And this is in memory of his dad's yard sale, which is yesterday. I wasn't able to do yesterday, but do it today, 15th of Cheshman. Uh, his father's Lave Ben Baruch, Nisham Shamali, as they say. And uh, this is uh, someone, the, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. These are the first Jews that came to uh, America, to Baltimore, before the great wave of the Soviet Aliyah. And Alex's parents came to the Soviet Union and made sure that he got a good Jewish education. That's interesting. And Baruch Hashem, look, he turned out great. And he's got, and he's in New Jersey, he's, he's successful, and he's, uh, and he's got his wife and his daughters and everything. It's, it's very nice. And um, I think, Alex, you come to Baltimore sometimes, don't you? I mean, your father's gone, but I, I think you probably come to visit your mom. So I hope you'll come and, uh, and let me know next time we can get together. I like getting together sometimes with some of my old students. And uh, Alex was really great once upon a time. All right, we'll, we'll reconnect. Uh, but I'm very happy and flattered to pay tribute to your father's memory. Now, uh, so that's why that was yesterday, so I'm trying to do early in the week. Uh, so we're looking at Pasha Vieira, uh, which is always obviously cockpole themes. But here's something that struck me, and that is, whatever happened to Lot? What the heck ever happened to Lot? Uh, we know, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Uh, we all know that... Uh, Lot appears in Lech Lombayero, and very dramatically in this uh, parsha because he ended up living in Sodom. I think I spoke about that last year. He uh, prioritized economics, so he wanted to live in uh, Vegas, you know, near Caesar's Palace, so he could make a lot of money, which he did do. And uh, the result, though, is, as you see in the powerful biblical story, he lost it all, plus he lost his whole family. He ended up getting involved in a weird way with his daughters, as we all know the story. So Lot lost it all because the one place not to invest in real estate was the Dominamar. It was all literally destroyed and turned into the Dead Sea. Fine. And we all know that because of Avraham, the two angels came and rescued Lot with his two daughters, etc. The rest of the family perished. They wouldn't believe him. His son's-in-law thought he was nuts. Like, take it from me. Your son-in-law always thinks you're nuts. You know, that's how it goes. Now, uh... Of course, the last laugh was on him. Now, I mean, the last laugh was on them. They got uh, blown up. Now, the story then goes, as we all know, that Lot runs away. He's dragged away. His wife perishes. And he ends up with the daughters and fathering two children by the daughters, Amin and Mov. And that's the end of the story. We're not told. And it's, by the way, it says in the Pesach, in this week's Parsha, that God saved Lot because of Avram. Okay, I get that. So you might say like this, the destiny of Lot is that to be, you know, some nachschlepper, uh, 
of a tzaddik. You know, some it's a little bit Hasidic. I'll tell you what I mean. You don't have to be anybody. If you have a shaykhus with a tzaddik, you will benefit from that itself. It's like no melamelech, you know? You benefit from that itself. Lod himself was a garnished. Not true. He had shaykhus with Avram. He honored Avram in certain cases. There's a famous Rashi later on that says that the fact that he could keep his mouth shut when Avram was in Egypt and not tell that really, you know, it's a, it's a husband and wife instead of a brother and sister, you know, with the Pharaoh story and all that. So you got a schar, etc., etc. That's fine. Um, uh, it's, it's a medrash, I think. But who is this load other than that? You know, n- nobody, they were, they were told special. Now, he had his virtues. After all, you see, he did the right thing when the two angels come to Saddam. He thought they're people. He tried his best in a low-profile way to save them from sodomy and the sodomites. Uh, you know, and to be perfectly honest, he took it so far that he threw his daughters out there, as, as I think we all know the story. Uh, so, you know, he he picked up a certain amount of decency from the Avram environment, correct? Lot tried to be a mensch in, um, you know, in this in, in this situation. But of course, like I said before, you don't have much of a chance if you're in the middle of Vegas, you know, if in the middle of uh, Atlantic City, and you're you live, you live in an apartment a block away from casino. You know, what? Come on. You know, you not much of a chance. Now, what happens then? Lot has these two children, and that's the least we hear of them. So you might say like this. Lot then lived afterwards in eternal disgrace. Down to this day, in art and literature, you talk about Lot and his daughters, like, oh, and they. Um, so he lived in eternal, in eternal disgrace. But it's not true. It's not true. Now, we never read of Lot reconnecting with Avram, which is interesting. Why didn't Lot come back after he lost everything and say, and maybe he did do this for all I know, and come to Avram and said, you know, you were right, I was wrong. You turned to the left, I turned to the right. I see now I was totally wrong, and you were totally right, and now I'm going to totally follow everything you tell me. I want to be your Mesharis, you know, something like that. I don't know, it doesn't say that. But, uh, in fact, it sounds like he disappears from the picture. But you never know what the Chumash, because they don't tell you the whole story. Realize this, the Bible is a narrative. A narrative, by definition, includes things and leaves things out. Who decided what to go in and what to go out? God. Okay, then shut up. <laughs> okay. But that doesn't mean everything's in there. We're not told what kind of cereal Avram loved for breakfast. Apparently that wasn't considered important, or, or whatever reason. You see? We don't know if uh, if Avram had any other children. Well, I don't know, you know... We only know the narrow story that, that's shared with. That's what we have to go with whenever you deal with Torah literature. That's the nature of the game. Now, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Um, later on in the Chumash, you do find Lot referred to. When the Jews have left Egypt, and they're in the 40th year, and they're in, in Devarim, when they're getting close to, um, to entering Israel, you know, uh, in time Moshe, they got to Mount Sinai, and they were there for X amount of time, and then they moved on, and then came the Meraglim, and then they were stuck in one place for like 30-some years, in Kaddish Barnea, I think, which is roughly equivalent, I, I once did this, something like the Gaza Strip, or something in that area, Rafiach, uh, and then they're there for a long time. So in other words, they were Mamish at the border of Israel, and they were stuck there for all this time, because, you know, they followed the clouds, and the clouds didn't move. And then, as we all know, when the narrative resumes, in Parsha's Chukas, in Bamidbar, so God says, all right, get moving, it's already the 40th year, 
You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I've, you don't need me to tell you. The Chumash not only leaves things out, as a gigantic chronological gap. Um, the Jews leave, the, the, there's the story of the slavery in Egypt, and then the coming of Moses, and then from then on, it's about a year to the end of the Ten Plagues, to Pesach, and then the rest of Shmos takes place over the next, I don't know, six or eight months. You know what I mean? By the time you get to the, oh yeah, to the uh, Golden Calf, and then the building of the Mishkan, and then Pekude, you have the erecting of the Mishkan. So it's about a year later, about 12 months later. You know, they leave when Pesach and Mishkan is erected in Rishkodesh Nisan. And then you give it another couple months for the story of, uh, you know, Korah and some other things like that. And, and then, next thing you know, um, it's 40 years later, almost 40 years later. Uh, Miriam dies and the people are moving towards Israel and all the adventures that take place, chukas, bol, pinchas, matas, masay, all happening in the 40th year. And then comes Devarim, which Moshe composes shortly before his death. And um, that's a, a remarkable. Now, what happens over there? Moshe is recounting to the Jews their sojourn from the la- in terms of the last phase of the journey, in which God finally says in the 40th year, Get up, move from Kosh Barnea, and march to Israel. But don't go straight up the coast, or through the Gaza Strip, or something like that, which is how you and I would have done it. It's the straightest uh, way to get into Israel. But rather, do this circuitous route, in which you go to the bottom of the Dead Sea, and you go up the Abra Yarnin side. That's the story, as we all know, of the Chumash. And uh, while they're going up the Abra Yarnin side, they encounter you know, several kingdoms. And the question is, do you go through them or do you have to detour and go around them? Which, if you look at the topography, by the way, is a bummer. Because the topography, the mountains and everything, uh, I don't know how to describe it, rise very sharply from the Jordan Valley. And so it's really difficult to traverse. The easiest thing for the Jews would have been to go straight up the Jordan Valley, you know, from the Dead Sea north. Uh, that's the flattest land, because according to a ri- by a river. And, uh, but that's not what they're told to do. Instead, as we all know, Edom won't let them pass through, Moab won't let them pass through, Ammon won't let them pass through, and instead of Moshe taking the bull by the horns and saying, you're not going to let me pass through, I'm going to bust you. Right? Be nothing left of you. Which Moshe could have done. God tells him, don't do that, go around them. Remember, you know, Lotiska, Bamachama, and so forth and so on. Now, in the case of Moab, it says something along the lines of, uh, you know, don't attack Moab, I think that's how it goes. It's for the Beneva I assigned this land. Which means God tells Moshe, you're on the way to get your land. Don't take away somebody else's land. Okay? Uh, we do not claim, the Jewish people do not claim to own the whole world. We have our shtickle karka. Not even a big one either. That's ours. That's what's given to us. The other stuff, you guys keep. And that's why Moshe doesn't battle Edom and Moab and Ammon as he's going north on the Transjordan side and he's trying to find a way to get into Israel and he cannot do so because the kingdoms won't allow him to as we all know the story until finally when they go to the middle of what you and I call Jordan today uh, Sichon and Og attacked the Jews attacking the Jews was the biggest mistake they ever made no, they gave Moshe a gift because you attacked me then I have the right to wipe you out I didn't attack you uh, this is the Jewish policy 
throughout the uh, Bible, throughout the Old Testament. You leave me alone, like David and Melch. You leave me alone, I leave you alone. You don't bother me, I don't bother you. You mess with me, you're gone. It's the biggest mistake you'll ever make. You know, you're gone. Uh, that's how David operated. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Take, for example, the Lebanese. Sorrentino. They didn't bother them, didn't bother them. Okay, we're not a, an aggressive type to go looking to conquer other nations in imperialistic spirit. But, but, you you mess with me, and I'll make sure it's the last thing you ever did. So, in the case of Sichonog, that's what happened. So the Jews took over the territory of what you and I call Reuben, God, Bechatzim, and Asha. That was the land ruled by Sichon and Og. To be perfectly honest, the area of Reuben and God used to be Ammon. And, uh, but the Jews got it since finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's the story of Yiftach in the Book of Judges. When the Ammonites said, we want our land back, and Yiftach said, that was 300 years ago, and you lost the Sichon and Og, we got it from Sichon and Og. Fine. My point is that God says, I'm telling you what it says in the Chumash, that uh, you leave Moab and Ammon alone, Moab specifically, I gave it to the Bnei Lot. Now, where did that happen? Is there a place in the Chumash, am I missing something, where God says, I'm here by divvying out Karka, and Israel goes to this, and Moab goes to that, and Ammon goes to that? We know that Lot fathered two children. One was called Moab, one was called Ammon. That's the story in the cave in this week's Parshat Era. That we know. We lose track of them afterwards. Correct? We lose track of them. Chumash doesn't tell you what it is. Okay, so let's say they settled down somewhere. Turns out they settled in the area that you and I know as Moab and Ammon. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, Moab would be opposite Masada. Get it? You've all been in Israel. You climb up Masada. You look out towards the Dead Sea, which is nearby. On the other side of the Dead Sea, that's called Moab. That's what, by the way, Moshe died there, right? Which is just interesting. Uh, Vaikras of a guy. Does it say Vaikras of a guy? Mulbase Bar Barrett's Moved. I think it might say something like that. Moshe will be buried in Moved. There he will Interesting. And uh, so that's called Moab. And if you travel the other side of the Dead Sea and you went north of that, you'd come into Ammon. Uh, the country of Jordan today has the capital Amman, Jordan. Amman is the Arabic for the old Ammon. Okay? Now, um, you might say like this, that's where they settled. It's the Middle East. It's a dog-eat-dog. Uh, these guys took out some of the tribes and attacked another place, killed everybody, seized all the women. That's how you uh, played war those days. And then you sit down in the year to all of us. Listen, this is how the Arabs and the Muslims took over the guns of the Middle East. True or not? You don't need me to tell you that Egypt, which is an Arabic-speaking country today, is not Arab. The Egyptians were around long before the Arabs existed. Correct? With your pharaohs and the pyramids and the hieroglyphics. But not anymore. They came in and they took a made in Arab town. And same thing with the guns in North Africa and with uh, Babel, which you call Iraq today in Syria. There's a right of conquest. Uh, or the wrong of conquest, if you wish. So what happened over here is, we would think that these Moabite groups got together and knocked out whoever was living there, and they took over. The Ammonite groups got together. And, no, I'm wrong. He lived in God obviously promised or gave, you know, the, the B'nai Lot, a certain period, a piece of karka, that the Jewish people are not allowed to go through it or attack them. That's just, that's just very interesting. Okay? As I always say. Now, when did they do this? We're not told. Why did they do this? We're not told. So it's interesting. Lot is unusual. 
he had his adventures and his misadventures, no question about it. But subsequent to that, God promised him something. So either he directly got a divorce or somebody conveyed it to him. I mean, I'd really like to know. Did Avram tell him? But you see, Lot was given legitimate control of a stickle karka. Now it's on the periphery of Israel. Isn't that interesting? And so just as before, Lot lived near Avram, but apart from Avram. Like I always like to say, one lived in Teaneck, the other one lived in, in Manhattan, in Soho. Uh, one lived here, one lived there. Uh, that's, their, that's how they're destined to be in eternity. That the Jews have Israel, and the B'nai Lod have Moab and Ammon. Now, they never had good relations with the Jews, which is interesting, but they have legitimate right to be there. They have legitimate right to be there. Uh, this is remarkable. We do not find, as far as I'm aware, China, Nosatius China, or something like that. You know, doesn't say that. Now, maybe it's true. I don't know. You know, Lower Eno Inariah. But as far as we know, there's no reference to it. When it comes to Lot, this silly business, there's a reference to it. Now, why, what, where, what, how'd it go? Right? The, uh, uh, you see that Lot wasn't Stamayats. Uh, now, he was, but not Stamayats. Uh, his episode with his daughters, we all know, you know, they, they meant well, okay? That's what they say, you know, they do a very little as it goes. They meant well. They thought the world's an end and so forth and so on. But afterwards, they got egg all over the face. So, um, I mean, if you're Jewish and you lived in a biblical time, you met a Moabite, what do you say? Like this, hey, Moab, you know, who, who's your grandfather? You know, who's your grandmother, right? Uh, which is a way, way to start a knife fight. But it's true. Now, these, Lot must have had some virtues. And, um, do, and, and, Adkadekach, that he gets a piece of Eretz role. Now, I don't know exactly how to work this out. That's why I'm discussing this today and sharing it. I think sometimes the things you don't have clear are just as interesting as the things you have clear. I'll tell you what I mean. Avraham was promised at the Brisbane of Asarim a shtickle karka. Uh, up to the Euphrates River. It's a Kenny, a Kenizi, it's a Kadmoni, whatever those people are. I don't know if you paid attention and noticed that. Listen closely. When the Jews come to Israel in the time of Moshe, there is delineated a series of borders for them in, um, in, in Mamidbar. And if you take the trouble to do the map stuff, you know, you, you trace it along a map, you see that the land that the Jews were supposed to take over in the time of Moshe is equal to the current uh, state of Israel, at least from Beersheba North, plus the Gaza Strip, plus Lebanon. I made this point in some podcasts sometime this year. Lebanon was supposed to be part of the Jewish uh, state. Now, none of that ever happened. The Jews screwed up. They didn't conquer what they were supposed to conquer, etc. That's what happened. Uh, the Avar Yardin, as I think you and I are aware, was not supposed to be part of Israel. Uh, and even as it is, you know, the Jews didn't even take over all that. As a matter of fact, the Jews didn't even take over central Israel properly. There was many areas, bubbles as I call them, of Canaan, Murray, and all this stuff. The Jews failed to conquer and didn't conquer for many, many centuries. Uh, by which time, you might say it was too late because the basic idea behind telling them to conquer and get rid of everybody, Lo Zechai, Kol 
is Galactus has been influencing you and they'll mess up your monotheism, which is, of course, precisely what happened. That is the story of the Bible, correct? The Jews came, you know, to uh, Eretz Yisrael, and uh, they learned from the Goyim, starting the book of Shoftim and afterwards. And in the long run, the Tanakh is a depressing story. In the battle between Judaism, generation after generation, and paganism, the paganism won out. And that's why God uh, wiped out the kingdom of the north, the ten tribes, and then eventually, more or less, more or less, wiped out the south and the Bais region, and so forth. They didn't get rid of the guy. Uh, fine, l- l- let it be. But uh, in the original promise to Avram, in the birth of Sarm, he says, no, no, you're going to get Syria too. Because you're going to get Israel from Beersheba North. You're going to get the Gaza Strip and Lebanon. In addition to that, you're going to get what you and I today call the country of Syria, or most of it, up to the Euphrates River. I don't expect you to pull out a map, although it would be interesting if you did that. Just Google a map of Syria today, and you'll see that most of the Syria is located you know, the, in the upper right-hand corner. In other words, in the north east of Syria, you'll see what they call the Tigris and Euphrates Rivers. They run through the top of the country of Syria today. And the country of Syria today is artificial. The borders were drawn up by the British and the French after World War I. Uh, but nevertheless, this is the land that was promised to Avram. And uh, I repeat, this is the land that was promised to Avram. So it's interesting, when you get to the Chumash in Bamidbar, it doesn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, go and conquer Syria. It doesn't do that. And in regards to, and it's called the area of the Kenny, Kinesia, Murray, Reform, and all that other business. Now, Rashi there uh, doesn't agree with what I just said. And Rashi, if I'm going by memory here, Rashi says that the Canaan Kinesis is Ammon and Moab and Edom. Which is interesting, that territory of Ammon and Edom and Moab uh, is, is uh, promised Abraham. Now, how do we understand this? And I don't know the answer to this, at least not offhand. I don't have the time to do the research on this. I'm just talking here. But would you regard uh, Lot and his descendants Getting as a fulfillment to the promise of Avram? Nah. I mean, it's not Avram. Yeah, you could make the case if I paid you, but, you know, not really. Uh, Edom is a little different because Asaph is a grandson of Avram. So is that the fulfillment that, you know, you'll get Edom, uh, part of Israel? I don't know. All we know is that they stand in a strange and ambiguous geographical political relationship to the area of Israel, of the Israelites. And... You see that it was so destined that a lot of the Karka of Ammon, at least, was lost to the Jews. The Jews took that over uh, because of the war of Sichanonog, as I told you before in the Yiftach story. So we end up with the B'nai Lot having some kind of sanctuary-type existence near the Jews, but not identical with the Jews. Uh, but the Kani, so were the Jews, was Avram's children, supposed to eventually get rid of Lot's children and take over? Uh, I don't know. Now, this has played out throughout history in a very interesting way because, um, taken modern times, uh, the modern state of Israel started to be thought of in 1897 when the Zionist movement started, and 20 years later when the First World War came into the Balfour Declaration. So all the nations of the world got together in the San Remo Treaty in 1920 and said, that the Jews can have a state in the mandated territory of Palestine, as they call it, which is equal to currently Israel plus Jordan. 
don't know if you know that. You know, those of you who know a little bit of history know that, and the rest of you do not. Go, go Google a map of Palestine in 1920, and you'll see that the original territory, which it says in the international treaties is supposed to be a Jewish state, or a national home for the Jewish people, if you want to be exact, uh, is equal to the territory of Israel. I'm talking about Israel with the Shtachim, with Yehud and Shaman and Gaza, plus the country of Jordan today, which is a nice Shtachim Karka. Uh, and that means, had it happened, that the state of Israel today, conceivably, uh, would include the ter- would be twice as large as it is, if not more. Uh, this was, when I was young, the Shita of the Jabotinsky guys, the revisionists. Menachem Begin, when he was young, that was the song of the Jabotinsky movement, the, the Beitar, uh, back 100 years ago, and 90 and 80 and 70 years ago. And uh, the idea was, it's our territory. Now, what happened was England, for its own reasons, uh, did a uh, a split. Except that instead of giving half the country to the Jews and half to give it to the other one, you end up with one of these cases, like it says in Babatia, where you get three chalakim and I get a quarter. So the Jews, by the time the dust is over, got roughly 25% of the whole territory. The Arabs got, um, you know, 75%. If you take into account the whole Jordan, plus the Arab parts in the Shtachim today. That's just interesting the way it turned out. And what it means is that, theoretically, the state of Israel should have included Ammon and Moab, um, but because the way the cookie crumbled, so it, it fell in the hands of the Arabs. So we didn't get the Kani Knizik in, in the form. We didn't get the Ammon and Moab part, which is today called Jordan. Interestingly, we did kind of get the Edom part, because the Negev Desert was never part of ancient Israel. Uh, I mean, once in a while, a king captured for a short time. Never part of ancient Israel. It's south of Beersheba, not north of Beersheba. And uh, it was never really Jewish. And never since 1948, again, it's been part of Israel. Negev is part of Israel. This is why every seven years when you get the Shemitah issue in Israel, one of the issues that comes up is, can you grow stuff and sell it if it grows in the Negev? Is that technically called Eretz Israel or not? You know, getting all this halachic shtick. Now, uh, all which goes to show you that the B'nai Lot are still in some sense or another, you know, holding on and preventing the B'nai uh, Avram, I guess you'd call it, uh, from uh, taking, taking uh, you know, the, the whole territory. The, the, it, we, we're still holding today, in the year 2020, in, in some degree, Kivneilot Masati Yerusha hasn't fallen to the lap of Jewish people yet. Not yet. Now, uh, this interesting play out from the Parsha. The people of Moab and Amman seem to have disappeared long ago. If you know your Jewish history a little bit, biblical history, they had Moab and Amman all during the Bicerician period, no question about that. And it was always like up and down, you know. Sometimes the Jews got along better with them. Not really, always was pretty lousy. Me'idah Gisab, as we all know, David and Malach and the Mashiach come from Moab. Okay? And uh, that's even the worst one. Moab is like very, Priestess Dick Rashi says the name. Amon is where Mashiach should have come from. By the way, Mashiach also comes from Amon. I just want you to know. If you hold like the Ram, Shittas of Rambam. Because the Rambam said the Mashiach has to come from David. I'm not finished. And also has to come from Shlomo, from his wife, Naamo. I believe, I think I remember correctly, 
This would be the Rambam in the Geras Taman, I think. I think. Uh, which is interesting. It has to come from Shlomo Elk, in other words, obviously from David, and from Nama Monis. I'm pretty sure it's said like that. In which case, the savior of the Jewish people, the greatest person I'll ever be, the Mashiach, Ben David, is going to be from uh, Amon and Moab. Which is funny. Right? Which is funny. Now, greater minds than mine have always written about this kind of stuff. And uh, it's one of those things the art scroll used to call the murky roots of monarchy and why does it turn out this way? And, you know, why it have to be Rus and so forth. But it happened. You see? And so, we don't get their land, but we get something from them. Uh, clearly, it's very strange, but clearly, the story of Lot and his daughters was like an Averilish one that had a good side to it. It was a noble uh, endeavor. Even though it's kind of weird to say that, but uh seems to have been because the Bnei Lot, later on, you know, claim a certain pride, and the uh, God said, I'm giving you this land, told them forever. Now, eventually, if you're speaking historically, the Arabs took them over. I'm talking about the Bayashini period, what they call the Nabataean Arabs. And for a very short period in Jewish history, King Alexander Yanai of the Hashmanoim conquered that territory. But they held it a very short time and was lost. So it's never really been Jewish Karka. Never really been Jewish Karka. You and I are living in a lifetime in which the Negev is uh, become Jewish Karka, which never happened before. And to be perfectly honest, if you follow what's happening in Israel, the Bedouins are contending with the Israelis of who should own the Negev because they're multiplying all over the place and they're just squatting and Israel does not know what to do with them. And like, who knows what's going to be uh, uh, in the end. In other words, if you want to be very uh, blunt about it, back in 1948 there were 15,000 Bedouins in the whole Negev area of Israel had kicked them out then if they wanted to, which they didn't. Kicked them out then, there would be no Arabs in the uh, in the Negev. But uh, there's a whole bunch of historical reasons for this. I'm just trying to show you what a ambiguous legacy was left over here. Ambiguous legacy. And so when we look at the Middle East today, uh, and we compare it with the biblical accounts, it's funny how they interweave in ways that, that make us feel comfortable, and interweave in ways that make us feel uncomfortable. That's my point today. Make us feel uncomfortable. The territory of the B'nai Lod is still problematic. Uh, as I said before, it's across the street from the uh, Masada. All that is true. But what's happened is that Lod got this as a chus. And if he did get this as a chus, then why did he get wiped out eventually? Because I tell you again, I'm and Amof departed from history. They don't exist anymore, as far as we know. Now, you know, when you get down to DNA, I don't know, I could be looking at some Arab on the other side, and Ulay Efshar, if we science figured out some kind of advanced DNA stuff, I'm serious. They'll say, you know, your your uh, DNA goes back to Amun and Mo. Could be. It's po- anything's possible. But as far as we know, you know, as far as we know, it ain't Amun and Mo. There's a famous mission about it, you know, with the with the uh, Meister and the Truman and all that stuff. Uh, on the other hand, if you look at the Mepharshim, they are Tosis and the others. They say Sanhedrin wasn't, wasn't Mavabal. Everybody... And, uh, you know, who was it? Minyomi Aguirre? I forget how it goes. It's a famous Mishnah in somewhere in Bikorin, maybe, uh, where he said, you know, what's the story with me? And Amun and Moab. And uh, David and Melch did conquer Amun and Moab. Uh, but it's not usually what we call Syria, uh, which is part of Eretz Yisrael, sort of. 
Now, I could be wrong, and I'll tell you what I mean. Just as in Shemitah years, there's always talk about growing stuff or not growing stuff from the Negev, and what would be considered Chutzlaris, and then you wouldn't have to get Shemitah there, you could sell it cheap in Israel. They also have this in Avery Yarding. I myself have a relative, very from guy, and years ago he was part of this delegation that they went on the other side of Jordan, though, to the country of Jordan. It was a couple of Shemitahs ago. And it was really funny because, you know, they're all super fumis, but they put on baseball hats. So the guy's got like pays and all the rest of it, he's driving a baseball hat. And they were cutting a deal with the brother of King Hussein or something like that. And they would sell stuff at a profit in Israel. And they were, you know, checking out Al Pidin, you know, is this area considered part of Eretz Israel or is it B'nai Lod or something like that, which is not part of Eretz Israel? Uh, and we will find ourselves coming back to Bashar Bayero and Devarim. So, I'm just leaving you with this notion that you can discuss if you want, and I haven't found anybody, look, I didn't make an investigation of this, I can't recall anybody specifically who speaks about this. Uh, you know, whatever happened to Lod, and what's the status of the territories that belong to his progeny, and if they really were given them as a as a Yerusha, so how come Lod's children wiped out? And uh, the Alman and Moab don't seem to exist anymore, except in the Malchus based of it. Not that we know where they are, and why is it the Mashiach is going to come from both of those daughters? Isn't that strange? From from the Mashiach is going to come from Moab to Rus, and through and from um, Shlomo Melch through his wife Nama and Monis. Shlomo had a thousand wives. One of them was good. He says Ishach is man That's supposed to be Nama and Monis. Nama. Uh, it's a Jewish girl, you know. You, you see girls named Nama. Um, she was a Geisha princess who married Shlomo, who obviously converted in for, for sincerity, not like the other wives of Shlomo who are insincere, as the Rama puts it in Hilchus, whatever, Isurabi over there, chapter 13. Uh, and Nama left this legacy that you know, she from her is coming to Geula, you know, for, for the Jewish people. Now, why is it? that the final geula of the progeny of Abraham come about through the children of Lot. Isn't that strange? And specifically, through the children he fathered with his daughters. Why is it that Avram's children are going to get their final geula from the Lot children? It's, a, it's interesting. Could it possibly be because Lot never fought with him? When Abraham said, you turn to the right, I'll go to the left, Lot says, fine. Maybe a low could have made a homework look and say, no, I, you go, I, I'm not going to go, you know, or, or something like that. These are all speculative questions, but I think they're fascinating, you know? Anyway, those are the thoughts that came to my mind today. With that, I wish you all a good Shabbos and a good week. And I, once again, I uh, thank Alex and his family and your uh, dad's Nisham Shanav and Aliyah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.